Well, as um, McKinley um, and Dustin mentioned, we start a new series this morning, The Gospel of John. Uh, and I'm so excited for this. Uh, we went through this book, um, I think, Zach, it was six years ago, I think, maybe seven, six and a half years ago, we went through the Gospel of John. Uh, and when you think about the Gospels, there's four Gospels in the New Testament. The first three, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they're called synoptic Gospels. Synoptic, the word optic meaning um, see, um, similar, they, they kind of seem like, the, like they're saying all the same thing. They're very similar. John is a bit different. Um, John has a different perspective. Um, there's, there's a few stories that will overlap, um, but not a lot. So you'll read things in John that you won't see in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. The author is identified as John. This is the disciple of Jesus. This is fascinating. He's actually never mentioned by name in this book. Do you realize that? John never writes the word John anywhere in this book. But he does refer to himself in this book. Through this book, instead of calling himself John, he calls himself something different. He calls himself the disciple whom Jesus loved or the beloved disciple. Now, I find that interesting that here's John writing this, and he's calling himself the disciple whom Jesus loved. I think it's also interesting that Matthew, Mark, or Luke's gospel never called John the disciple whom Jesus loved. You know what they call him? They call him John. The gospel of John is taking the reader on a journey. John is carefully crafting, developing these themes to help the reader believe that Jesus is the Son of God. John's purpose is clear, but you won't find it in chapter 1 like most letters. You find it closer to the end, the second to last chapter. In John chapter 20, verse 31, John says this. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. That's his purpose. That's our aim, is that through this series, you're going to see Jesus as the Christ, the Son of God. Now, you're going to be forced to make some decisions about who this Jesus is. And that by believing in him, not by attending this morning, not by giving to the offering of this church, but by believing in his name, you may have life. So every word is carefully pinned through that lens so that you may believe and find life in Jesus Christ. Now, by the end of the series... You really, you're going to be forced. Like, who is this Jesus? Um, C.S. Lewis um, has developed this idea, and I think you see it in John's Gospel, where C.S. Lewis says you're forced when you look at Jesus of the Bible to decide if he's Lord, lunatic, or liar. And I would add a fourth one for our generation today. Is he a legend? Is Jesus Lord? Is he a lunatic? Is he just some crazy madman saying all these things? Or is he lying? Is he trying to deceive people into thinking that he's some kind of God? Or is he just legend? We just make him up. Some people just sat in a cave one day and wrote a, wrote a book. We call it the Bible, and we've been deceiving people to be moral ever since. So is he Lord, lunatic, liar, or legend? And by the end of the series, John's going to force you to put Jesus into one of those categories. And it doesn't matter what your parents think or your spouse or your friends think. What will ultimately matter when you stand before God on Judgment Day is, who do you think Jesus is?
So let's look to John 1 this morning to what's been called the prologue. This is John 1, 1 through 18. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness is not overcome. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, he, but, he, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. Let's pray. Father, we, um, we come this morning just um, overwhelmed with your kindness, that you would have this plan of redemption where you would send your son um, who would leave his throne and come and dwell in flesh with all the temptations and uh, troubles that our flesh can bring, that you um, put yourself in that situation so that you could redeem mankind. So Lord, this morning, may we just uh, be in awe of who you are, what you've done for us. Uh, Lord, may we be faithful as you've been faithful to us. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So this begins the New Testament. If you think back, like throughout the entire Old Testament, the Jews had been in search for Messiah. The search began in Genesis 3, when God promised Eve a baby boy. And this baby boy would redeem the world. And so Genesis 3, you see Adam and Eve have their first child, baby boy, um, and so this search for this boy began. Is it Cain? Well, we quickly find out it's not Cain, right? Well, maybe it's Seth. Nope, it's not Seth. Maybe Noah. It's not Noah. Abraham, Moses, none of those guys. What about David? Surely it's got to be King David, a man after God's own heart. We see many things wrong in David's life. David, the mighty king, is not this baby boy. John 1 shows us that finally the king has come. The one that Jews had been waiting for centuries to come has physically finally arrived. He's here. Yet at the same time, spiritually speaking, 
He had been present. He had been near during every second of Israel's history. This is the incarnation. This will be the mystery that we marvel at, thinking about Jesus being fully God, fully man. So let's begin our journey through John 1. In the beginning was the Word. So the Gospel of John begins with a phrase that probably sounds familiar. The first three words of this book just so happen to be the first three words of the Bible. And I think John is doing something here. John is so crafty with his words. Every word has some kind of meaning. Like he, He's careful. He just doesn't put a word down. He's thinking through all of this. And so these three words take us back to the very beginning. Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. John is connecting Jesus back to the very beginning, to creation. If we could go back to the very beginning, if you can just kind of just close your eyes and just think about what that would be like. You know, there's nothing. Just before God had created anything, you would find Jesus there, okay? Jesus wasn't a part of the created order, but rather he was the one ordering creation. We see this truth in Colossians 1.16. In Colossians 1, it says this, For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. So just logically thinking for a moment, Jesus cannot be a created thing. You know, there are some cults, some religions that believe Jesus was this, he was the first thing that God created. He cannot be a created being, and at the same time, by him all things were created. He cannot create himself. He has always been. So in the beginning, takes us back to Genesis 1, but that's not all. John also mentions the Word. He mentions light and darkness. These are also themes from Genesis 1. Genesis 1, verse 2, The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. Here we see darkness, or absence of light, in the beginning. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. God's word is powerful. He speaks, and molecules and atoms, they obey, they respond. In John 1, we see that in the beginning was the word. Now, notice in your Bibles, notice how the W there, it's, it's kind of strange, isn't it? It's capitalized. Why is it capitalized? John is giving us some clues about who or what this word is. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. John is giving us a huge statement about the Word. Not only was the Word in the beginning, and the Word was with God, but now John says that the Word was God. This is huge. I know for us, saying that the word, who later we'll find out is Jesus, saying that Jesus was God, it doesn't seem like a big deal, right? We hear that all the time. But nothing could be further from the truth. For John, this is paramount. There, there is one God, and yet we have this Orthodox Jew, John, saying that the word was God. 
I mean, this is something that would have gotten him stoned. This would be the death penalty for a Jew who would totally believe that there is one God. They would say the Shema all the time, believe the Ten Commandments. Yet at the same time, now he's saying that the Word was God. That's a huge deal. This is why some, like the Jehovah's Witness, Mormons, they don't believe this. Um, In fact, we're going to try to put this on the screen, see if it works. Jehovah's Witness, if you look at John 1, in a Jehovah's Witness translation, which is the New World Translation, it reads like this. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was a God, lowercase g. Now, if you go, I, I looked at this online just to make sure that this hadn't changed. Maybe they repented and thought, maybe, you know, we shouldn't say that. So I just want to make sure it's still there today. But I noticed that they have a footnote beside a God. So I was being curious. I clicked on the footnote, and it took me to Isaiah 9.6. Of all the passages, I was shocked it took me to Isaiah 9.6. Many of you know Isaiah 9.6. It's one verse we read around Christmas time. Here's Isaiah 9.6, and the one that you have close to it in your Bible, it, they don't really make any changes in the New World Translation. But it says this, For a child has been born to us, a son has been given to us, and the rulership will rest on his shoulder. And I thought, well, maybe because this child has been born to us, maybe that's that he's not really fully God, he's... He's subject, maybe, but then it says, you know, his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. Like on one page, they call Jesus a God, lowercase g, and then on another page, they're fond calling him Mighty God. And I think this just shows us that Joe's Witness, Mormons, it's one of the things, this is a big stumbling block for Muslims, the Trinity, the Incarnation. They, they just don't know how to process it, so they just deny it. And then by adding one little word like a, a God, they're making a huge statement about Jesus that he's, that he's something less than fully God. He may be some type of God, but he's not fully God. But that's not what John is saying here. John is saying that Jesus is of the same character, the same quality as God the Father. Colossians 2.9, Paul says the same thing. Colossians 2.9 says this, For in him, Jesus, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. I'm not sure how the Bible can make it any clearer than this. The whole, meaning all of, entirety, fullness of deity, meaning God, dwells bodily in Jesus. Right up front, John is declaring that this Jesus is God. Worthy to receive all honor and praise. Worthy to receive your worship. So in verses 1 through 3, John is telling us who this word is. And now in verses 4 and 5, John is telling us what the word does. Verse 4, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So why did Jesus come to earth? You ever thought about that? Like, why did the God of all creation humble himself, spend nine months in the womb of one of his creations? 
John gives us two reasons right here why Jesus had to come to the earth. To bring life and light to men. So first, he came to give us life. It's interesting, isn't it? Life. Why? He came to give us life. Aren't we all alive right now? Well, sadly, not all of us might be alive. There are many, maybe even some in this very room, who are dead. Ephesians 2, 1 through 3 says this. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Without Jesus, you are dead. Yes, your body's breathing. You're enjoying the common grace of God, but your soul is spiritually dead. Jesus came to make us spiritually alive, to make us right with God. Receiving life means that you will no longer be separated from God. Jesus takes God's judgment for your sin. His victory over the death and the grave becomes your victory. So Jesus came to call people from death to life to give mankind a relationship with God. And then Jesus, secondly, he came to shine as a light. A little later in, the, in this gospel, in uh, John chapter 8, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. So I am, that's a phrase we're going to spend a lot of time on, um, these I am statements of Jesus. And here we see one of those, I am the light of the world. Anyone who follows me will never walk in the darkness, but will have the light of life. Jesus brought life to the spiritually dead and light to the spiritually darkened. Throughout John's gospel, we find this ongoing struggle between light and darkness. For example, in John uh, chapter 3, um, when Nicodemus, this religious leader, comes to Jesus, John makes sure to mention that Nicodemus comes at night. For John, there's a play on words there with this story of Nicodemus. Nicodemus is still walking in the darkness. And so he's portrayed as someone coming to meet Jesus at night. Nicodemus is a picture of how we all come to meet Jesus. Jesus finds us wandering around in the darkness. And in verse 6, John um, makes this, this transition. Um, and he says here, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. Now, I know some of you may be thinking, you made this big deal about John never says his name. And then here we see it in the first six verses. This is not the same John, okay? This is not the author John. Um, this, is, this is John, the, um, who's Jesus' cousin. Um, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness. Uh, notice he's not John the Baptist here. He came to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. Um, so here's this man, John. We, we see in Luke's gospel that this is the cousin of Jesus. He's six months older. If you remember that, angel appears to Zechariah, Elizabeth, telling him we're going to have a child. Um, this is the one, Elizabeth, who when she went to see her cousin Mary, um, John moved, he leaped in the womb, 
knowing about Jesus. So he began to worship and witness about Jesus even when he was in his mother's womb. And here we see um, that John came um, not so much as the Baptist, but as a witness. What was he witnessing about? He was witnessing about the light that all might believe through him. The disciple John, the author John, makes sure that we understand he's not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. Now, why would someone have to tell someone about the light? I mean, what, what person would you have to describe light to? It's kind of a strange thing, right? Like, I've not mentioned, like, hey, there's six lights, which I know trustees want to change at some point. Some of you can't see screens. But I've not, I've, not, I've not made much about these lights today. I'm assuming when you come in, you can see them. Um, but there's someone who couldn't see light that you would have to describe light to. Anyone who's blind. Someone who's blind, you would have to describe what light is. And that would be challenging if you think about it. How would you describe the sun to someone who's blind? Something bright and shining. This is what John's doing. Why is he have to bear witness about the light? Because he's coming to a people who's blind. We cannot see. The reason it's dark for those that are spiritually dead is because those who are spiritually dead are also spiritually blind. We can't see the light. Verse 9 says, the true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. Jesus came to call people to life. Ephesians 2 tells us that we were once dead, but now we have this new life. So John is telling us about the light, this light that's coming into the world, and this true light is Jesus. Verse 10, he was in the light, or he, he was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become a ch um, children of God. Now think about this. Think about how tragic this is. Jesus, looking out at humanity and all its brokenness and, and, and thinking, like, I've got to go. I've got to go. I, I, I can't stay. I need to go. I need to go redeem these people. He shows up. He humbles himself. Takes on flesh. I mean, just think about that. The God of the universe took on flesh. And he takes on flesh. He comes to his own people and did not receive him. Later in John's gospel, we'll, we'll see his own people say, crucify him, crucify him. These are people he's made in his own image, after his own likeness. Crucify him. Others spat upon him. They beat him, mocked him. These are his very own. And he created, he knows them. And yet they reject him. They refuse to receive Jesus. But, verse 12, to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. 
And praise God for this verse. We see here how God sets up salvation. He sets it up. It's not by faithfully coming to church. It's not by being moral. It's not by being good givers. It's not by being kind. It's by belief. And so this is a theme, again, all throughout John's gospel. The word believe, when John uses it, it's maybe not how we would use it all the time. The word believe, you could easily translate it to entrust. Or, so those who entrust themselves to Jesus, those who trust in what he has done, who he says he is and what he um, has done. For those people, God gave the right to become children of God. You become a part of his family when you believe. We see in verse 13 that those who were born not of blood nor the will of flesh nor the will of man but of God. We see here that we have to be born again. This is what Jesus tells Nicodemus in chapter 3. That unless you're born again, you will not see the kingdom of God. We're spiritually dead. We need a new life. We need a new birth. We need to be born again. And notice this this birth is not from, from your family. Like it's not by your parents. Having your parents' last name will not get you into heaven. It's not by the will of flesh, meaning you can't, muster up enough good works, good deeds to pay off the debt that you owe to God. That's a very Muslim kind of thinking about God. I'm going to work my way. I'm going to do enough good deeds to where at the end of my life, I just hope that the scale, you picture that, and I just pray that I've done more good works than bad. Maybe God will let me in. It's not by that way. It's not even by the will of man. So even you just, man, I would love just to be in heaven. Just, just this will, just desire is not enough. But it's of God. It's a gift from God given to man. It's beautiful that God allows us to be a part of his family. Now, many of you, you have this huge heart for fostering and for adoption. And for those of you who foster, you're reminded, like, you need to be careful how you think of these kids. They're not yours. You're just fostering them, caring for them, helping them get back one day maybe to their family. But the foster care system will quickly remind you that you're not the family, okay? But that's the different thing with adoption. When you adopt, they're yours. Legally, they have rights. That's what Jesus is doing here. He's giving you rights. Even though that you were dead, you were an enemy of God, now you're family. You get to sit at his table. You have rights, privileges as a son and daughter of God. And then we come to the most, one of the most Beautiful and comforting verses in the entire Bible. Verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. 
And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Beautiful. That the word here became flesh. Jesus took on flesh and dwelt among us. This word dwelt here, um, it's the same word that you would see in the Old Testament about the idea of tabernacle. So here we see this, this, there's a picture here of Emmanuel. Emmanuel means God with us. This is Jesus coming to be with us. Now, God has always been with his people. He's always found a way. Even though in Genesis 3, he couldn't be with them, he couldn't walk with them how he had, he still always found a way to be near his people. So in the wilderness, when they left Egypt, he was near them in the in the tent of meetings, this tabernacle. Later, with Solomon, Solomon built the temple. God dwelt in the temple. Here, God is still dwelling in a, in a structure, in a building. It's this fl- flesh of Christ is where God is dwelling. Jesus is present. So he's always been dwelling with his people, and now here's Jesus fully God, living among his people. Amazing truth. So he's dwelling with people, nothing's changed, but now we've seen his glory as glories of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. When you hear this phrase, Jesus, full of grace and truth, you might even think ahead to John Uh, Chapter 14, where I am the way, the truth, and the life. So here, there's this picture of grace and truth. Jesus coming, living among his people. Dwelling. Think about this. If Jesus did not become a man, he cannot die. Right? He had to take on flesh in order to die. Um, one of my favorite theologians uh, to read is J.I. Packer. I love J.I. Packer. He, he says this, thinking about the incarnation, about Jesus coming, Jesus dying. He says, we should never look at Bethlehem without seeing Calvary. We should never contemplate the incarnation without our thoughts drifting to the crucifixion. As we think about Jesus coming, taking on flesh, part of why he had to take on flesh is so that flesh could die. So Jesus came so that he could die. And John bore witness about him, verse 15. Cried out, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace, for the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So here again, John, he's, he's bearing witness. He's crying out. This is was he of whom I said, he who comes after me, ranks before me. We're going to see this next week when we look at John. Um, John is bearing witness in the wilderness. When we, when we come to him, actually, um, next week, he's, he's out in the wilderness baptizing people, talking about this one who's coming before him. Uh, who, who's, he's unworthy to, um, to you know, wash his feet, un, un, undo his sandal, um, it's on his foot. He's, 
He's just so below Jesus. We see that the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Moses was a mediator, showing people, he was like this in-between, like showing people who God was through the Ten Commandments. We learn a lot about who God is through the Ten Commandments. Moses brought the law, but Jesus brings grace and truth. We learned a lot from Moses who God was. We learn even more from Jesus. He lavishes upon us grace and truth. Verse 18, no one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. Moses was close. Moses was close to seeing God. If you remember that story, Moses saw the back of God and it radically changed. He just started to glow. With, he had the Father's glory like just glowing upon him just for seeing part of God. Jesus makes him fully known. Jesus says, you want to know what God's like? Look at me. You want to know all the characteristics, all the attributes of God the Father? Look at me. I am making him known. God reveals his power and his will through his word. Now, as we think about this picture of Jesus coming to give us life, to give us light, I want you to think about yourself as John the witness. What was John's purpose? I mean, pretty much all he cared about. You know, he, he wasn't thinking about retirement. He wasn't thinking about job security, family. His whole life mission was to be a witness about this light, a witness of who Jesus was. And you may, you may be thinking, that's good for him. I'm so glad he did that, but that's not my purpose. I'm, I could easily just go down here and sit and preach to myself right now. Because I think about what has God called us to be. God made it clear to me just from his word that we're no different than John the Baptist, John the Witness, whatever you want to call him. Right after Jesus rose from the grave, he spent about 40 days, Acts chapter 1 tells us, with his disciples, teaching them about what the kingdom of God was. And right before he goes back to heaven, he tells them something. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, look at this. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria to the end of the earth. You see that? Notice the definitive language that Jesus is speaking with here. And you will be my witnesses. Not I hope you'll be my witnesses, not if you feel like it today, or if someone asks you a question about God, then you'll be my witnesses. 
You will be my witnesses. Do you even think of yourself that way? Like, I, I, just don't, I just don't wake up in the morning thinking about that being my role. I, I, I know I'm a son of God. I know I'm a, I'm a Christian. But I would call myself a lot of things before I would get to witness. But this is what Jesus, the very last thing he tells his disciples, that you're going to be, this is who you are. And notice there's no choice. It's not, you know, if, hey, if you want to be a part of this, it's just like, hey, if you're going to be a part of this, then this is who you are. You are going to be my witness. Now, what is a witness? We've got some people who, um, maybe you've, maybe you are an attorney, like you know, Randy. You you're in, in the court system a lot. Maybe there's others who are in the court for different reasons. Maybe. Maybe you've seen movies about courtrooms. When you think about a witness in a courtroom, think about maybe you have some information that would save someone's life, and you're called to be a witness. They call you up to the stand, and you just sit there quietly. You don't speak. What kind of witness would you be? I would say a pretty poor witness. I'm sure whoever, you know, if it was the defendant invited you to be on the stand, I'm sure they are regretting, like, why did I call this guy? You have something so important that could change this case, and you just, you're not saying anything. A witness is someone who speaks, who shares about what they've seen or heard. That's what we're called to do. God has called us to be witnesses of what we've seen and heard. And where do we do that? Everywhere. This is why we keep before you guys, like, where you live, work, and play. Like, how can you be a witness where you live, work, and play? We are called to be witnesses. You have something You have information that someone's life is someone's eternal life is dependent upon you speaking. And God has orchestrated you in their life so that you could be a witness. And now we're just called to be obedient. Notice we're not called to save anyone, we're just called to be faithful witnesses. But we've got to speak. So John is telling us, he's taking us on a journey that you are to be a witness in your community about who this Jesus is. So who do you think he is this morning? Is he Lord, lunatic, liar, or just some legend? Just some guy to make us conform to moral standings. Jesus is calling us to be a witness for him. Will you be faithful this week to that mission? Will you accept it? Let's pray.
God, you're good and kind, full of grace and truth, that you've made us a part of your family, (laughs) that we were your enemies and you invited your enemy to the table. Lord, may that that truth itself uh, fill us with so much excitement and joy that we we can't help but to tell others. Lord, I pray that we would not be silent witnesses, that we think just by, just by the way we live our life that people will come to know you as Lord and Savior. Lord, that's not how it works. Yes, we need to live a certain way, but Lord, we need to speak. We need to speak the gospel. Lord Jesus, we thank you for coming, for taking on flesh, humbling yourself, even to the point of death, death on a cross. Lord Jesus, we make much of your name, the name where every knee will bow, every tongue will confess. We lift it up this morning. Lord, we thank you for your kindness, for not giving up on us, for calling us your own. We pray this in your name. Amen.